Rick Groen of Globe and Mail called this movie an amiably black comedy whose bared teeth double as an engaging smile. It takes a satiric bite and leaves you laughing through the pain. Los Angeles Times critic Kenneth Turan said it was clever enough to make jokes about Greco-Roman wrestling and make them funny. And Amazon user and suspected bot ICU-YJM noted, This is not a comedy, it is a horror movie. In which comedy movie you see multiple killings. In cold blood, without an ounce of parody. This movie depicts cold-blooded murders. Hello, is this American comedy? Well, if it is, buy it. It is a free country. What a waste of my money, and shame on the producers giving Detroit a bad name. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of Gross Point Blank. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhood Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters. What a nice, gentle way to get us into the episode. You know what? I just feel like that's what, what we need, what I need. Just a nice, gentle easing in. I mean, really, there's there's been... We are, we're recording this on October 2nd, 2020. And everyone everyone's heard the news. Rick Moranis got assaulted. Oh, I mean, and first of all, to preface what's coming next, it is awful when anyone gets assaulted. Absolutely. But anyone. How dare you lay your hands on Rick Moranis? Oh, no, that shit is wrong. No, you stay away from him. No, I got... I saw that and I got angry. I got, I got worked up on behalf because my God, like Rick Moran. And of of course this person did not know who this was. I don't think, I don't think this person was like, is that fucking Rick Moranis? Is that Rick Moranis? I'm going to go punch him. I'm going to punch that bitch in the head. What's funny is the, well, not funny, but like Vince Cortho. Well, but John, strangely (laughs) enough, and I know this because I read this on abcnews.com. This was mere, I think, blocks from really that from that building. Yes, because they pointed this out as though it were some and I don't know. We don't, you know, there's 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 a Ghostbusters movie that uh you oh. know we haven't heard we haven't heard much about no I don't I don't think that Rick Moranis was like walking from a secret Ghostbusters location actually on right. Central Park West and not in a studio. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I mean, like, he yeah. <laughs> he just wanted to be close to a, a friendly establishment, the place where the subject of our next month of movies was blown by a ghost. Well, <laughs> Um, sorry, you know, in like one of the first music videos I ever remember seeing. So, uh, oh, but yeah, no, I just, I'm sorry. I was just like, maybe Rick Moranis was just over at Tavern on the Green. No, (laughs) except I think Tavern on the Green is is not open. Well, if, uh, the movie Mr. Popper's Penguins is a documentary, 
it was just uh, sold to P- Mr. Popper, and he just kind of judged up the place a little bit. But I, that that is a documentary, right? <laughs> of course it is. Yeah. Well, it's a nature documentary. So, yeah. So Net that Geo. movie is, you know, we, we watched it here, I think, towards the beginning of lockdown times. That was kind of on heavy rotation because my kid was just the feeling it. Days. And uh, yeah, it's it, it's not bad. It's not a terrible movie. And along the lines of children's movies, I want to mention a bit of news that I read the other day. And of course, we record this several days before it comes out, so this might be old news or you're hearing it for the first time. But uh, it has been reported that there will be a Lion King sequel directed by Barry Jenkins. A live action we're right, not talking right, live, like Lion King to Simba's Pride. We're talking Lion King, I guess, version two, the the continued. resurrection. Yeah. And the resurrection. I, I love that. I love that. The passion of the Lion King. <laughs> Barry Jenkins doing it? That's gonna be cool. I'm excited. I, I'm I, I guess you know, I'm it's I'm a more really interested. interesting choice. It's a really interesting choice. I mean, I guess here's the thing. So like I haven't seen the live action Lion King. It's good. Just because, well, I mean, just because I've seen The Lion King and I really like the animated Lion King. And one of the things I love about the animated Lion King is the animation. And another thing that I love about The Lion King are the performances in that movie. All I mean, and I lo- like I listened to the songs and I don't think, you know, this is this is no fault of anyone involved, but... I just didn't feel the need f- to see a, a cover version of it, basically. Okay. The, All due so, respect to the talents involved. And it's it's so fascinating to be talking about this on this podcast, a podcast yeah. about reboots. Uh, but what I appreciate about this live action, in quotes, version of The, of the Lion King is that it, yes, it is a cover <laughs> essentially but also you have uh better racial representation because this does take place in Africa so it's something to be considered uh James Earl Jones remaining in the same role which is kind of a a nice bridge between the two also i mean the performances in it and by that i mean the voice performances in it are really great you know you have Donald Glover, you have Beyonce, and also you have Seth Rogen and Billy Eichner doing Pumo, uh, Timon and Pumbaa, which is really enjoyable. And it, it's not to say that it is in any way erasing the Ernie Sabella, uh, Nathan Lane characters, but it's kind of just like a, oh, I like how they did that slightly differently. <laughs> it's, I guess it's not I just to say don't feel, it's, yeah, it, I it's guess clearly it's just... not, it's not as good of a movie as the original, but I like it for what it is. Yeah, I guess. And I guess part of it is just like, it, it hasn't really been of interest in my household. So, I mean, if there was a veterinarian performing surgeries on the animals, then my daughter would be way into it because that is her thing. Now is the veterinary shows on Disney plus. We've talked about that quite a bit. Oh yes. It's, Oh, but now she's like expanded and I don't, I don't recall talking about it on here before. You have. 
I have. Okay. Yeah. yeah I, it's a blur. <laughs> it's, I am, I am, you know, everything is just a blur. <laughs> I totally get it. You have begun your, your teaching profession has been kind of kicked back into gear in a major, major way. I get it. It's it's easy to ninety five. Whereas, yeah. like, it used to be where the only conversations that I would have like this were when we would be recording yeah. our podcast, and 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 like this, I mean, you know, on on a computer using a video conferencing platform, and now I don't have many conversations outside of of that right. Media. So. Yeah. But I will say it is an amazing, it's an incredible, good or bad, it is an incredible time to be alive. And I will say this for a few reasons. Within the past few days, I have watched Michael Winslow making songs with his mouth on Instagram Live and also like Mandy Patinkin shouting at a TV after like the debates and stuff from his armchair. And it's like, what a world, what a world we live in. We have wonderful access to these fascinating people. It's so it's so hilarious that you say that because the other night as I was doing whatever and I get a notification on my phone, Michael Winslow has started a live video. <laughs> yeah. And I just thought I almost I feel like I almost screenshotted it and texted you. And I wanted to be like, I want to go back in time and show this to us sitting there watching Police Academy. Yeah. I mean, I tuned in a few times and it is just enjoy. He just doesn't say anything. He just have you watched any of them? I've kind of tuned in for a moment because it's just yeah. like it's it's he just, just like do, it's good. They, it they don't last the same, very you know? long. They don't last very long. He does his thing, does a little song using like looping effects and stuff like that, and then he's done. And it's wonderful. It's his I mean, I love like have you seen his merch store? No. Oh, he's got an awesome merch store. I, I mean Jeez, I guess I blew everyone's birthday surprise just now, but uh, <laughs> no, because there's like there's stuff that it, it's like posters of him in different characters, but it's not necessarily like like five of them are just from the police academy movies, but it's uh-huh. like him pretending to play the video games, him in the like kung fu costume, him in the Jimi Hendrix looking Weird. like costume, and then like his spaceballs character. <laughs> Weird. His Spaceballs character, which is great. Oh, oh, when he pops up in Spaceballs, I, I threw Spaceballs on recently. So did I. It, it's delightful. It, it comes up every now and again. Of course, god damn it. It's like every time I turn something on that's escapist, and I'm just like, oh good, I'm gonna just put this on and just disappear from the real world. And then there's President Scroob lying to people about a crisis. Yep. Don't be ridiculous. As president of Planet Spaceball, I can assure both you and your viewers that there's absolutely no air shortage whatsoever. Yes, of course. I've heard the same rumor myself. Yes, thanks for calling and not reversing the charges yet. Bye. That's how the character is introduced. And I've I've often compared um, Trump to President Scroob more more with like the hoarding the Perrier. But I was right. like, it's even more literal now because he's saying, no, it's fine. It's fine. Go ahead and breathe. And then, you know, and, and he's like with the yeah. with the can of fresh air. Right. I, Which is when I watched. 
Which is definitely a gif I sent around when the air was unsafe to breathe during wildfire times. Yeah, and then it happened again when I watched Batman, the 1989 oh, Tim Burton Batman. Yeah. It was when the mayor is is saying like, all right, well, we're going to cancel the 200th birthday or anniversary celebration uh, due to public safety. And then the Joker just kind of cuts in and like knows how to do TV. Of course, it is yeah. sitting in his lounge chair, all painted up. And, and of course, he's talking about, Hey everyone, come on out. I'm going to throw money on everyone. And then guess what? I'm going to fight Batman. He's at home washing his tights. So, and I was just like, my God, why is everything turning into Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like current events. Why? Like, I just want, what do I have to watch? What do I have to do? What the lion King, I guess, even that, even that something's gonna, it's lovely. Or, you know what? Gross point blank. <laughs> gross point blank. But before we get to gross point blank, I have a few more things to talk about for with our last episode, The Apartment. Oh, cool. If you don't yes. mind. No. So I, it occurred to me, of course, after we recorded, because that's when these things happen. But it is, I think, the genesis of the, mani- the Manic Pixie Dream Girl ideal of, uh, you know, it's like this is something that would have been a Paul Dano and Zoe Kazan. Zoe Deschanel. Like, to- well, Zoe Kazan, oh. because, you oh, know, they, they they kind of, I think, were some of the pioneers with, like, Ruby Sparks. And then, of course, Garden State was the whole manic pixie dream girl thing. You know, kind of like the 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 cutesy, weird well, uh, girl 500, who's... 500 Days of Summer. Right, right. Yeah, Which but, was, but Zoe, Zoe Kazan, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, it's like that. that's exactly what this kind of really spawned. The apartment was... I. I mean, I'd be curious to see, yeah, if there were any like it before that, but definitely the Manic Pixie Dream Girl ideal kind of was spawned by that. Well, and I mean, and as you know, as we were talking about how the young white professional mid 30s going Mm -hmm. through the existential crisis. (laughs) I've got another one. Unless are you... Are you? Well, I was. Well, no, because I was throwing it back, and I was just like, like I was like, oh, we we kind of really did, you know, but from 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 uh from CC Baxter to Benjamin Braddock, so it's from CC to BB, um, right? Uh, to um, oh, to what? Well, Benjamin what's Braddock was much younger, but yeah, yeah, a younger yeah. version. But imagine Benjamin Braddock like ten, like CC Baxter, ten years younger, sure. yeah, just out of college. So what what I want to yeah. also bring this to is another movie that I can't believe I didn't make a connection with before. Dan, we're talking about C.C. Baxter. Have you seen the movie The Baxter? Oh, yes. So The Baxter oh, yeah. is the, you know, I think written and directed and also starring Michael Showalter. Michael, yeah. And it might have been the first movie that he directed. And it's the story about this guy who followed all the rules and it seemed like he was then entitled to this ideal little life. And he has this fiance that's just like the perfect fiance. But then when her old flame comes to town and uh, he ends up finding a friend in this quirky temp played by Michelle Williams. And by connecting more with this quirky temp, he realizes that the path that he was taking, this kind of ideal path, isn't the right path for him. And uh, yeah, a lot of similarities. And you got to wonder if the name 
the Baxter, because in the in the movie, it's explained that the term of being a Baxter is somebody who is kind of a pushover. And in this case, women just kind of walk all over him and he's kind of the stepping stone to their next like to their future, to the person that they're going to spend the rest of their life with. He considers himself to be a Baxter, which doesn't necessarily apply to the apartment, but in all of the other ways, it in a lot it really does. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So you have to wonder and there feels it feels to me like there's a lot of like Billy Wilder influence in the way that Michael Showalter does I think a lot of his movies. Yeah, but I think you're I think you're making a I think that's a really um that's a really great point. The Thanks, uh, about the Baxter and I haven't seen it in a long time. I'm it's I'm looking a, it up. And- it's a really lovely movie. It's a lot of fun. There's it's certainly like I don't know because it's probably from like 2004, Five. something around 2005, and yeah. uh, it's de- it's definitely like in it's in that time like it's a very like New York 2005 movie like it just yes. feels that way and uh, which is great yeah. which is wonderful. Um, one other thing that I have for the apartment is. And I don't know if this is just because the actor who played Dr. Dreyfus reminded me of him, but a really wonderful uh, actor who could play Dr. Dreyfus in a re- in a remake would be Michael Stuhlbarg. How great would he be? Because he's Perfect. essentially he's essentially done different aspects of that character in a lot of different movies. A serious man, he's got the Jewish factor to it. Uh, in Call Me By Your Name, he kind of has like the the wise advice giving uh, parental so, figure. So, so he's done. And is it all like like rabbinical? Is are you saying just like the different types of Jewish men that he's played? Because <laughs> he's like a gangster in wh- where like I feel like a couple of things he's been like Boardwalk Empire wasn't he a gangster? I think so. Yeah, and- he's yeah definitely for a few years he was just in absolutely everything, and I'm all yeah. about it. And I believe he's in something coming up. If I'm not mistaken, of course he is. So he must. Yeah, be, right? uh, but I feel like I would love to see, and it just makes me want kind of like the. A, a movie, a companion piece to the apartment that's all about Dr. Dreyfus, this guy who lives with his wife in New York in 1960 and has this debaucherous uh, next door neighbor in his apartment building. And uh, then one night he comes to him needing help because a woman has OD'd in his bed. So, um, yeah, no. So he uh, also was in The Shape of Water. Oh, totally. With, uh, RCP favorite Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon. Um, let's see what else he was. Uh, Michael Stolberg was in a uh, one of the seasons of Fargo, The Post. Speaking of Fargo, really quickly, um, and and just real quick, uh, I think it was the movie. Uh, what was the movie that he's Shirley that he was just in? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's the one I was thinking of, but uh, new season of Fargo is out. Dan, have you watched the Fargo series at all? You know, I'll be honest with you. I tried um, with the first season and I've been tempted to just kind of like go to a different season because I get the sense that like you don't really need to. 
Not at all. Each like, one is, is independent of the other ones. I think that they'll there will be like little Easter egg connections between them, uh-huh. but they take place in all different eras. It's just this geographical area where they all take place and the new season the first two episodes at the time of this recording have been out and it is tremendous it's like i've been intrigued by the trailers yeah yeah it's just like watching a movie that takes its time and you know because it's like there's just going to be whatever eight ten episodes something like that and it's like you're gonna have your ending and then the next season will be a completely different story so I really enjoy that type of kind of filmmaking because it really is more than just like a TV TV series. And what's cool is, especially if you look at TV over the last 20 years, you see a real evolution and you see how different series have influenced and affected each other. And it's kind of like for every... It's kind of like for every groundbreaking series, you have a bunch of copycats. Like there were all the uh, like lost, and then there were all of the echoes, the you know flash forward, sure. the event, mm-hmm. which were were fine, but you know they were they were covers <laughs> to yeah. keep a to keep a theme going. Um, but you'd start to see like and some, but some really positive influence on storytelling and like building building a season. And I think once shows, I think once, I think once shows started to like determine when they were ending, Mm. um, you know, like with a show, like, like breaking bad, which is like, okay, we're going to do three, like two, we're going to do one more full season and then two more half seasons. Yeah. yeah. So two seasons. (laughs) Um, yeah, but I think it just strength, it strengthens the storytelling because it, it, you need to know, where you're going because otherwise you end up wandering aimlessly and your show is more about a concept than than an arc it's why breaking bread is breaking brad <laughs> stop it bro um go ahead but something so what, what i really one of the things one of the things because there are so many one of the things that i really love about the fargo series and at first when i saw that they were making a series out of fargo i kind of rolled my eyes but they really did it brilliantly. And, you know, the first season is its own kind of version of the Fargo film story-wise. And then it really takes it to some really cool ways and really cool directions and amazing performances from like some of the best actors out there. And uh, I'm I'm excited to see where this season goes. So if I just kind of... It- Ignore all due respect to the folks involved with with season one of Fargo because I'm I I enjoy their work, but because I, I also love that movie, so yeah. it's hard for me to kind of see that story and not be like uh, I just want to watch William H Macy play this character, right? So then sh- should I just like skip that season? But I should I should kind of check out the other seasons. Check out the Which other one seasons. Should I go to uh, the Ewan McGregor season. There's a Ewan McGregor season? What? He plays twin brothers. Dan, Ewan McGregor season? You are missing what? out. Start there. Hey, start there. And yeah. then you might and then you're probably going to want to watch the first season. Just because it's pacing wise and like mm-hmm. vibe wise, you're gonna really enjoy it. And you're gonna want to complete and and kind of go back. But I feel like maybe that's what I should do and then go back to the first season once I've kind of accepted the idea of Fargo the series whereas the first season kind of, it's kind of like watching the first season of the off the American adaptation of the office yeah when it was just kind of doing 
yeah. the UK version. So right. Anyway, we don't uh, need to I mean, I the think point. it's. I think that it's actually better than that. I think that it did that because it kind of had to do that, and mm-hmm. it does it in a really clever way. It doesn't really like you can appreciate so many things about it, and maybe even kind of lose yourself in it, and. Not necessarily I mean, forget the I've, the source material, but it's you yeah. you know you understand how it is different. Yeah, I think I just I think the pacing also has just I found it a little slow because I'm thinking about it and I really I'm like Billy Bob Thornton, who I I really enjoy. And his speaking work, of the office, Martin Freeman in that character, yeah, Martin Freeman, who I also uh, really enjoy. So yeah, I mean, I'm always that's one that's kind of always on my back burner. Well, people aren't here to hear us talking about Fargo. They're here no, because they love no. Dan frickin' Aykroyd. Yes. It's October. 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 Our celebration of the films, the career, the legacy of Daniel Aykroyd. So, and I, I have to say, like, Dan Aykroyd is kind of, he's he's one of those actors who I think for a long time I kind of wrote him off as you know he was he was a good supporting player and i think i always thought of it as you know it was there was Belushi and Aykroyd yeah. and then it was Chevy Chase and Aykroyd mm-hmm. and um Ernie Hudson and Ernie Dan Hudson and Dan Aykroyd. or you know but that even then it was Bill Murray Bill Murray, Bill Murray. Yeah. so I feel like he was kind of always second banana. And when he was, and when he was in the lead of a film, it didn't necessarily Coneheads. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Which I kind of want to revisit that. I Uh, like Coneheads a lot. I haven't seen it in, in quite some time. And, and I've been thinking about revisiting that. So it is so bizarre and not for October, but no, I don't think so. But I think that it's definitely worth a, a revisit. It's been a while for me, but I just remember it fondly. But Um, uh, I, I love that we're starting off October with gross point blank where he is a supporting role, but he really stands out because he, he really lends a lot to this character. He makes it, he brings out several dimensions into this character that could easily just be, Oh, yeah. It's such a well, fl- and I can only imagine. I I feel like he and Cusack, I I can only imagine they must have had a lot of like improvisation mm-hmm. and and just you know really had fun with it. It's just it's a tight script. It's a really great script. Yeah, but uh, just uh, sorry, just to kind of add a little bit more in there as I was you know considering the filmography of Dan Aykroyd. And then I think about other things he's been in, like uh, My Fellow Americans with Jack mm. Lemmon and uh, James Garner. Right. W- um, which is a fun movie. And then you think about, oh, he got an Academy Award nomination for Driving Miss Daisy. He's in mm. Driving Miss Daisy. And then you go and you're watching Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And is that Dan Aykroyd? Is that Dan Aykroyd <laughs> doing a British accent? Yeah. And it's he's- just like that. Yeah. He's everywhere. He and he's always really good, I feel. Like my girl. My girl. He's very yes. good. Uh, you feel for him. You feel yeah. for him and my girl. And you buy it, him and Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. And I mean, aside from that, Dan Aykroyd is also just like a fascinating person. He has a strong fascination with the occult, which yes. is kind of how Ghostbusters yes. came to be. Love that about him. 
He is a co-owner of the Crystal Head Vodka Company, um, yeah. which I went out to go get a bottle of to to have while we were recording this month of episodes. But it's a fifty dollar bottle, and I don't feel like I'm. It's I'm at a fifty dollar for a uh, bottle just for fun, kind of. Dan situation. Dan Aykroyd has gotten my money in in other ways, and <laughs> and will probably still continue to get royalty checks from. From things that I buy, not just me, yeah. of course, but yes, yeah. all of us. Shall we launch into a synopsis for Gross Point Blank for anybody who either is unfamiliar or it's been a while? I guess by we, you mean you or I, but you. After high school senior Martin Blank freaked out and ditched his date at prom, he joined the army, got involved with the CIA, and ended up getting into the murder for hire business. Now it's been 10 years since standing up his high school girlfriend, and the weight of the world is on his shoulders. With the counsel of his not-therapist, Dr. Oatman, and his assistant, Marcella, Martin is convinced to go to his 10-year high school reunion and make amends with his high school sweetheart, Debbie. What sweetens the deal for him is that there's a hit out on a guy in his hometown, so he can kill two birds with one stone. Somewhat literally. But Martin isn't the only hitman in town. Grocer, who has been trying to convince Martin to join his assassin union, has a bigger plan in mind. He informed the NSA that Martin is in Gross Point to off someone, and if they catch him in the act, they get to ice Martin. But wait, there's more. Grocer also has Felix La Poubelle, a nasty son-of-a-bitch killer, after Martin as well. When Martin rolls into town, he finds Debbie at the local radio station where she plays the hits from days past and also takes callers to discuss heady topics like forgiving a long-lost love who suddenly reappears after a decade. Martin also bumps into Paul Sparecki, a close pal from the high school days, who is now in the residential real estate game. But Martin's homecoming isn't all that simple. The spot where his childhood home once stood is now an Ultimart convenience store. Bummer. As Martin takes strolls down memory lane with Paul, Debbie, and various other figures from his past, he becomes aware of the other spooks in town and gets intel from Marcella that they're nothing but trouble and that he should go and do his job and tidy things up. But Martin isn't quite there yet, emotionally. He also runs into Grocer, who gives him one more chance to join the union, causing a scene at a quaint little breakfast joint. Debbie agrees to go to the reunion with Martin, despite her hesitations based on her history with making plans with him. Dressed to kill, they make it to the reunion and have a blast. High school buds show off how far they've come in life, giving Martin a glimpse of what things could have been like for him. Simple, maybe even have a family. And not all hope is lost. Maybe he can change. And they do. Martin and Debbie seriously reconnect, if you know what I mean. And are five minutes from heading someplace more comfortable when Martin encounters Felix Lapoubelle in the hallways. They have a brutal fight that ends with a pen to the jugular. Debbie catches him and freaks out, alerting Paul to the hallway where Martin is crouched over a corpse. As Paul helps Martin get Lapoubelle wrapped up and down to the school's incinerator, Martin goes into more detail about his current line of work, even though he hadn't been hiding his career from anyone up until that point. They all just thought he was joking. Because that's not a thing that people actually do, right? Martin is sure that it's all over with Debbie, so he goes back to his hotel for a well-deserved snooze. The next morning, feeling like he has no more hope of having a normal life, he opens his dossier and discovers that his target is Debbie's father, and if he doesn't swoop in soon, someone else is going to get to him. After Martin rescues Debbie's dad, they rush back to the house where Debbie is nowhere near forgiving Martin. He gives them a gun and has them hide in the bathroom while Martin is involved in a massive shootout 
taking the lives of some hitmen, the NSA guys, leaving him face to face with Grocer, who is still trying to get Martin to join the Union. It all comes to a head when Martin, who is all out of bullets, manages to off Grocer by smashing his skull with a TV. Martin, who had just explained to Debbie why he stood her up at prom, as an effort to channel his homicidal urges to the military instead of the ones closest to him, and now asks to marry her, much to the approval of her dad. Debbie decides to go with her gut and leave Gross Point with Martin. So, John Cusack is Martin Blank. Debbie is played by Minnie Driver. We have Jeremy Piven as Paul. Uh, we have Joan Cusack as Marcella, who's so, so damn wonderful. good. Um, and of course, Dan Aykroyd is grosser. We also have um, uh, Hank Azaria, and I'm blanking on the other guy's name, uh, who's oh. the NSA agents. So originally, it was uh, Don Cheadle was going to be in that role. Oh, really? I think he wanted too much money. I don't know. Uh, oh, that's funny. Uh, but anyway, they're they're awesome. I mean, Jenna Elfman shows up in there. Uh, there's a few other Cusacks yeah. who make little oh, appearances. That's, uh, uh, K. Todd Freeman. K. Todd Freeman. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. You would know him. You would recognize him from uh, from The Dark Knight. Uh, he's made some appearances oh. on yeah, High Maintenance, The Blacklist. Yeah. yeah. Totally. He was in Eraser. Got it. Cool. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there are so many awesome things about this movie. The The way that people talk to each other is really fun and like I said, he's, you know, he tells people what has happened to him in the past 10 years. And he mentions being a hired assassin he and they all the think he's joking time. and just say things like, oh, does that come with dental or. So what's your business? Professional killer. You get dental with that? No. Where have you been for 10 years? I freaked out. Joined the army. Went into business for myself. I'm a professional killer. Oh, does that? Do you have to do postgraduate work for that, or can you can you jump right in? I'm curious about that. It's, not, it's an open market. Open market. Yeah. That's good. Wow. What have you been doing with your life? Uh, professional killer. Oh, good for you. It's a growth industry. People just kind of write it off and joke about it with him. It's so interesting, and and this didn't hit me until you were. Until you were synopsizing, mm-hmm. but it it continues the the kind of that trend of these like these men at these crossroads in yeah. their lives and having existential crises. And Hold up, which Martin does in the middle of the shootout. I forgot to mention Alan. Doctor Oatman is Alan Arkin. I know. Well, I was I, I was going to bring that up because if you also if you look at the cast. That it's so Chicago, Second right. City. Alan Arkin, one of the original Second City uh, right. cast members. You've you've got the Cusacks because there are other and Cusack is in and there Cusack as well. The, there's one more Cusack that shows up in there. Bill Cusack no. is a is a waiter. Bill Cusack, come on! You got you got Cusacks, four Cusacks in there. You got Jeremy Piven, who's yes. also from that theater scene. Like I think his parents ran an acting run or ran an acting school. Okay, in Chicago. So I mean, uh, Minnie Driver is uh, the outlier, not local to Chicago, but not quite. And that was quite a year for her. That was the same year as Goodwill Hunting. It sure was. Yeah, and and she is so. 
good. It's just the chemistry is so natural. What I like about her is that she's she's super smart. She has this like popular radio show where she's just a total boss and she's pretty fearless. She doesn't she's not afraid of like saying what she thinks. She tells him off plenty. But, you know, she just has this attraction to him. And and you can see it. Well, and it's funny because, you know, it's like when they kiss the like he Mm -hmm. walks back into the booth. He walks into the booth. They're seeing each other for the first time since he stands her up. Yeah. And then they kiss. I read that she improvised that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and but but you're right, because it justifies it shows you that even though he stood her up and vanished on prom night, there is still yeah. that something between the two of them, which is kind of what. You know, at at the end, and and we talked about this because you could put Martin Blank and Benjamin Braddock, uh, you mm. know, into the same club. Except that if you if you compare CC back, if you take CC Baxter, um, and Fran, and then you think of Benjamin Braddock and Elaine, and then Martin Blank and Debbie. Mm-hmm. I'm the most optimistic about their chances, Martin yeah. and Debbie, just yeah. because it's there. Totally. Absolutely. And it's there every time they're together. Yeah. They're great. They're really, really awesome. And uh, so good. Yeah. Mini Driver. So good. Love Mini Driver. Uh, But yeah, Alan Arkin is so damn funny. Don't kill anyone. (laughs) I got invited to my 10 year high school reunion. I'm conflicted. I mean, I don't know if I really want to go. It's in Detroit. You know, and I grew up there, but I just honestly don't know what I have in common with those people anymore. You know, with anyone, really. I mean, they'll all have husbands and wives and children and houses and dogs, and, you know, they'll made themselves a part of something, and they can talk about what they do, and what am I going to say? I killed the president of Paraguay with a fork. How have you been? I'm just thinking it'll be depressing. It'll be depressing. Shouldn't you be taking notes or something? I'm not taking notes, Martin, because I'm not your doctor. Please don't start with that stuff again. Martin, I'm emotionally involved with you. How are you emotionally involved with me? I'm afraid of you. You're afraid of me. And that constitutes an emotional involvement, and it would be unethical for me to work with you under those circumstances. Don't you think maybe you're just upset because I told you what I do for a living, and you got upset, and you're letting it interfere with our dynamic? Whoa. Martin, you didn't tell me what you did for a living. Yes, I did. You didn't tell me what you did for a living for four sessions. Then you told me, and I said, I don't want to work with you. And yet you come back every week at the same time. That's a difficulty for me. On top of that, if you've committed a crime or if you're thinking about committing a crime, I have to tell the authorities. I know the law, okay? But I don't want to be withholding. I'm very serious about this process. And I know where you live. Oh, now see, that wasn't a nice thing to say. That wasn't designed to make me feel good. That's a kind of a not too subtle intimidation. And I, uh, I get filled with anxiety when you talk about something like that. Come on, I mean, that's. Come on. I was just kidding, all right? The thought never crossed my mind. You did think of it, Martin. You thought of it and then you said it. And now I'm left with, uh, with the aftermath of that, thinking I gotta, I gotta be creative in a really interesting way now or Martin's gonna blow my brains out. You're holding me hostage here. That's not right. I just wanna work, okay? There's some issues that I need to work on in my life. I've read your books, your bestsellers on the top 20. They were both ghostwritten, Martin. What? The Annihilation of Death? Yeah. Kill Who? A Warrior's Dilemma? I read it. New York Times top 20. Well, I don't, I don't know what to say. Well, what do you say to other patients? You know, I don't know. How does it work? Ask me how I'm feeling. How do you feel? I'm feeling uneasy, man. Um, I'm just dispassionate. I'm bored. I'm 
It's hard to stay in a good mood. I've had problems with work, you know, concept execution stuff, and just ill at ease. Well, look, Martin, I don't want to suggest anything that might be uncomfortable for you, but you might consider, just consider the possibility that part of your problem, part of the thing that's making you so miserable is the angst over killing a lot of people. Maybe I just put it in the background there. Come on. If I show up at your door, chances are you did something to bring me there. Okay? I don't care about that stuff. You don't care about what stuff? You know, morality. Hmm. I don't want to talk about work, because I don't think necessarily what a person does for a living reflects who he is. So what do we do? We talk about dreams or what's next? What's next? What's the score here? We'll talk about dreams. We can talk about dreams. It's your nickel. Sure. Um, I had another one about Debbie. That girl you're obsessed with? Don't you think obsessed is a strong word? Uh, recurring dreams of loss and pain for 10 years featuring the same person. Yeah, maybe it's a bit excessive. Um, I had one where I was uh, that television mechanical rabbit. You know, with the... The, the... the battery bunny. Yeah, I was the bunny. That sounds like a very, very depressed dream. Really? Yes. Why? Martin, it's a terrible dream. It's a depressing dream to dream about that rabbit. It's got no brain. It's got no blood. It's got no anima. It just keeps banging on those meaningless symbols endlessly and going and going and going. Time is up. T time's up already? You really want to do a half a session? Can we just pretend like we have a normal doctor-patient relationship? I'll ask you a piece of advice. You give me an answer. You know, advice. Should I go to the reunion? Yes, yes. Get out of town. Thank you. Go see some old friends. Have some punch. Visit with what's her name? Debbie. Debbie. Don't kill anybody for a few days. See what it feels like. I'll give it a shot. No, no, don't give it a shot. Don't shoot anything. The way, like I said, the way that they talk to her, the way that uh, Martin talks to his old high school teacher outside of the high school yeah. is, is really fun. And it's just like... You know, they're talking to each other as if they're peers. And I don't know. There's something about the I, I way that they- I want to come back. I want to come back to that. Okay. Okay. I want to okay. come back to that. But later. she was I just wanna... like, you know, you you know, everybody's what happened to Martin Blank Pool. You know, everyone got yeah. it wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's, oh, yeah. You know, you beat 20 years or whatever. And yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah, clearly they were talking about him. And, and like I said, uh, I want to come back. Okay. 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 Just connect. It's Martin. Martin, my God. It's you. Hey. Oh, God. You've been Detroit's most famous disappearing accent, Swipe Blind. You look exactly the same, Mrs. K. Well, I'm, you look great, is what I mean. You oh, look thank great. you. Thank you very much, Martin. You have always been very good at saying that, not sounding like a kiss ass. <laughs> so, what happened? I mean, we, we thought Princeton, Harvard, you fooled us all in the teacher's pool and went... Nowhere. I guess you could say I went west, oh. you know, the way of Horatio Alger, Davy Crockett, the Donner Party. Oh, oh thank you. Thank you. That's a, a barrage of imagery. Are you still, um, you know, inflicting all that horrible Ethan Frome damage? Is that off the curriculum? It's off the curriculum now. Oh, it's a horrible book. It's a very nice tie you have on. Oh, You yeah. look like uh, a mortician. I mean... You like it? Yeah, thanks. So, you still got, got that whole Mary Tyler Moore thing. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. That's enough. Uh -huh. All right. Good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you. Where, where are you off to? I'm, uh, I'm going home. No, I was just going to talk about Dan Aykroyd for a bit as Grocer, well, of who's this fast-talking, like weird dude who's just, you know, Mart. So the movie begins where Martin Blank is uh, assassinating. Well, he's killing an assassin who's trying to shoot some, I don't know, ambassador, some sort of important person. Yeah. So he his job was to kill the guy that's riding the bike who's going to shoot this guy, but little does he know. 
that Grocer is like, you know, at the hotel where he is. And he's just the Gene Parmesan of assassins. Oh, my God. (laughs) So he just like comes out of nowhere and with super loud guns goes bam, 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 bam and kills the guy anyway. So, you know, Martin Parmesan. Yeah. So Martin Blank, who's like, you know, very calculated. He's got all the silencers. There's one guy who he's killing or he's trying to kill with using like a poison down a string while he's sleeping into his mouth. And like, you know, very like calculated, whereas Grocer is just like, you know, unashamed of how much of a scene he's going to cause. He just gets the job done. And uh, they're just two very, very different sides of the same coin. It's also it's kind of like where Martin is so cautious that when he's Martin is so cautious that the tiniest slip up it's kind of like everything he always does is always so precise mm-hmm. and then you see he starts to slip like he hesitates a little bit in um it, while he's setting up the the string right so right, right. to to you know in poison down the guy the, yeah. the poison so whereas with grocer his technique is like well shit just go in there cause such a chaos such a mess that you could just walk away and everyone's so busy looking at everything over there yeah no one's watching you go off the other way it's it's kind of like um the in the godfather right when, uh when michael corleone uh shoots salazzo and the police chief mccluskey right right mm-hmm. yeah yeah i am so i don't know how i remember that yeah. <laughs> uh but just the way that dan Aykroyd plays his character is really fun and weird and you know he's talking about these this medication that he's taking that he's trying to get martin to take and oh yeah you know like that's (laughs) you know certainly lending to his character quirks actually in that first scene when after he shoots that guy the way that he tosses the guns to the side is just like very cartoonish and just very silly and you just all the ways that he talks to him he keeps on saying like popcorn like he's just got these no yeah (laughs) I love that line. Yeah, popcorn. The, yeah. Well, the scene when they first when they when they're on the phone and then uh, he pulls up and when they get out of the car and they're both just so jittery because at any moment they're both ready for one to shoot they're the both, other. But they're both putting their hands out to shake hands, but their other hand is like really close to a gun underneath their jackets. Like, and they know. have a friendly relationship, but yet they are at. Any second, expecting the other to shoot. Martin, where are you? Budapest. Ah, city of cathedrals. Yeah, I see you right there on the bridge of the Danube, kid. I kind of like to talk to you, you know. Well, right, why don't you email me? Uh, kind of like a, you know, one-on-one, kind of a face-to-face type of thing, you know. I do it personally? Yeah, I'd love to see, you know what I mean, kid? Let's, let's do it. How you doing, kid? How are you? Good, good, good. <laughs> Hey, mental telepathy, uh, astral projection, you know. Here you are. <laughs> right. What do you want? Kid, I'm putting together a little concern, which would uh, enable those of us in our rarefied profession to avoid uh, embarrassing overlaps. What, like a union? Yeah, more like a club. Work less, make more. That's a great idea, but um, thank you, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Remember Burma? Yeah, I do. That nut General Quang. You were like a colonel in that army or something, right? Yeah. I sold you all those tanks and shipped them to Alabama. T-34s, I took a bath on that. Yeah, that was fun. That's what I'm talking about, kid. We could be working together again, for God's sake. You know, making big money, killing important people. I want to structure an arrangement where you get, like, you know, shares, original shares on the ground floor. 
And you would be the president of this organization, or maybe just a father figure to me. Hey, if you want a father, I'll give you a spanking. Yeah, forget about it. Look, the employers are getting us a lot cheaper, because yeah. there's so many more of us. Well, after the Berlin thing, what can you do? Soviet bloc collapse? Yeah, the market's right. flooded. Okay, that's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at consolidated bargaining, okay? Mm -hmm. Look, I don't want to play against you. This thing is real. How real? Moranga brothers. Uh, them uh, East German ecstasy guys. Oh, I don't like those guys. Them uh, butch Filipino ladies. The little uh, the dwarf uh, made the... Stabbers. Queens at a hotel hip, you know. You got a great crew. Everybody's in. Yeah, well, not me, so don't paw at me with your dirty little guild. All right, well, you know, life's full of second chances. And uh, here's chance two for you. You think about coming in with me. Hmm. You ponder, okay? I'll think about it. Because either way, I'm gonna get you, kid. Yeah, get what? Get back. <laughs> bing, 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 bang. Popcorn. Yeah, whatever. I, it works in this movie. It, this movie's energy. This movie has an energy to it. Well, the whole thing with the dog. The whole thing where he Boudreaux. the dog. Boudreaux. Right. Um, and I'm I'm trying to remember exactly what the deal was, but uh, Martin was out on an assignment and there was a dog that like got into some crossfire. Or, or like explosives or something like that. Oh, that's right. I there was know. some sort of explosive thing. Oh, yeah. The dog like fetched the explosive. Yeah. Like, yeah. So that was kind of like a dark cloud that was following Martin. I think that it was like, but if you're under the protection of my union, then that's not going to be such an issue for you anymore. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. But if he unionizes, yeah. then he's no, then he can't be with Marcella anymore. And man, do I love a good John and Joan Cusack pairing. And she is They're, so funny and weird when she's trashing oh. the office at the end. It's, it's like hitting a computer with a hammer. It's like, what are you even You know doing? what she kind of reminds me of in this? When she, she keeps saying sir and sir, like Marcy from Peanuts. Oh. Who always calls Peppermint Patty sir. That's really funny. So, uh, But I love the, the part on the phone when she's like on the, on the one line with the... Um, <laughs> Like talking about like a, a shipment of of ammunition, and then she's talking to someone else about like marinating a chicken. Yeah, and she's got the same tone going back and forth. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Amelia, wait, hold on a second. Pacific Triangle Global, Janice. Yeah, no, where the fuck is it? I ordered three days ago. No, that doesn't work. That's, that's not right. Let me go over it again, all right? Let's see, 3,000 rounds of 9mm subsonic. You had that. I gave that to you on the fucking list. Well, I don't give a goddamn where it is. You get it here now. Amelia? I'm sorry. Yeah, no. No, I'm, it's not going to be a boring soup. It just That's just the base. You put the chicken in, you've got to add other flavors. Carrots and celery are just a base of a soup. I love Joan Cusack. And this is she and this movie is. is a perfect example why. This movie and... Okay, Dan, did you see... And I don't know why you would have seen it. There was a movie that came out a couple years ago with like Mark Wahlberg and I would say Rose Byrne called Instant Family. No, I've, I've it, heard of it. I know okay, of it. But, so the whole yeah. thing is that they adopt these three kids or they're fostering these three kids. And to true story them. based on true story. Right. Yeah. And the uh, there's the scene at the end where like the kids run away and they go past this house. And the person that's living there who's just like kind of out on her deck is Joan Cusack. And it's just like a weird random cameo. 
And like, is she playing somebody else or is she Joan Cusack? No, she's playing somebody else. But like okay. the way that she, she kind of plays it as if she's a character who's been in the entire movie. Like, I don't know. It's it's just really funny. I do not like, know how a to explain her character. There's a director's cut somewhere with like an extra hour just with Joan Cusack's character. Yeah. Establishing everything. Can I get one of those? Because I haven't gotten a single hug from you since I've known you. Please. <laughs> Hi. I, I, I don't know the whole context of everything, but I'm just wondering if I can just get in on that hug a little bit. We're good. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're good. Thank you. Sorry. That was just wrong. Yeah, I just do that. You guys hug. I crossed the boundary there. Everything's going to work out great too i can tell hi oh oh thank you bye bye are you with them do you know those guys yeah why do do you guys want to come in um i i I made a pie no thank you Karen. It's pie. You know I love pie. Great. Yeah, I just I have I have so many feelings. It's just kind of one of these characters who's just like, I don't know who any of these people are, who are like the main people in the movie. I don't know who they are, but they have all of a sudden entered my life and I want to be part of this story. That's kind of her vibe. It's like, oh yeah, I want to be part of the, what's going on here now. <laughs> and she's so funny and weird. And that's just one Joan Cusack is just so funny and weird. I love it. And Marcella, oh God, great character. And you know she's the one that pushes him to go to the ten year reunion. She's like, I think this could help you. Like this would be so great. You can reconnect and blah blah blah. I don't know. It's awesome. And Joan Cusack has made claims that the the movie that she did with John Cusack, War Inc., is kind of a pseudo sequel to this. Where I, she plays I the assistant that. to him, to his like assassin or killer character, and uh, he's an arms. Is he an arms dealer? He's an that? arms dealer. Yeah. I think I I saw it, but it's been a long time. But yeah, uh, I'm intrigued. I I hadn't seen it, but I'm I'm intrigued. I was thinking of rewatching it after I read that, and I was like, I just don't. I don't remember liking it. So it feels very dark. <laughs> I yeah. I don't. I just don't really remember. If anybody yeah. does. Write to us, ruinchildhoodspod at gmail.com. Yeah. So Gross Point Blank is... Yeah. It's a really... The music in it is awesome. You know, it's a lot of throwback music with the idea of it being kind of an 80s flashback because of the reunion and everything. Class of 86. Class of 86. You know, you've got lots of the clash. I think Joe Strummer actually did the music for the movie. He did the score. Yeah. 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 And... You've got some Mena in there. Yeah. Definitely the specials, Mm -hmm. Um, which I like the scene when she opens the door and and when he goes to to her house. You can't come in. You can't come in. You can't come in. I never realized that's a line from the song she's listening to. (laughs) Yeah. Which is funny because it's not even a line you hear. It's just. That's just what it is. If you know it, if you, you know, know the song, it. you know. Yeah, I, I think "Blister in the Sun" is "Blister in, there in the twice. Sun" is like the main song in the movie. The theme, yeah, yeah. I mean, but that had a great soundtrack. I remember, like, I mean, I, I personally did not have the soundtrack probably because I had all of those all songs of music, on yeah. other things, but 
I knew, I, you know, a lot of people who had that soundtrack. It was it's a, a real soundtrack, soundtrack but, movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which, but the soundtrack, it plays. Well, yeah, but and then that was also like you know mid '90s with things like Pulp Fiction and even Forrest Gump, where not just original music for the movie, but Dazed um, and Confused. Yeah, Dazed and know. Confused, another one. Reality, Reality Bites was was kind of similar, where there, but it was more music. But it was, I think written for the movie. Right, it was a lot of like current grunge. Yeah, yeah, current current grunge, but I'm saying it was in that era of soundtrack movies right, where it right. was like if you like I have the re- I am not the biggest fan of that movie, but I have got my CD of that soundtrack. I don't know if you way back when did you ever watch Parks and Rec? Oh yeah, of course. Okay, so I love there's this one episode where Adam Scott's character uh, Ben is about to go on a road trip with. Uh, Aubrey Plaza's character, April, and all of his CDs in his CD book are all soundtracks. And he's like, oh, well, uh, I kind of look at it like uh, it's your favorite directors making a mixtape just for you. Ew. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. I saw that episode. I enjoyed that line immensely yeah. and re- and connected to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, but Gross Point Blank was that cool soundtrack that had all of those great like new wave eighties hits, which maybe you knew and maybe you didn't. Right. Uh, like it's not like the specials were main were mainstream. No, but blister in the sun was definitely one that like stood the test of time. Oh yeah. A little bit. Yeah. But it yeah. was, it, but it was, those were the songs. Those were the bands that you learned about from like, you know, an older sibling or a cousin or someone, you know, who was into that type of stuff because they were like in college and listened to college right. radio. Yeah. At that at that time in the oh, you know Yeah. Early well 90s. I mean you were in college in the mid to late nineties and as an older brother, you know, as my older brother, you definitely informed a lot of the music that I listened to for a good chunk of time. And uh I mean, and this goes earlier than when you were in college, too. I mean, definitely when you were in high school or even junior high, just a lot of influence. I mean, we definitely listened to a disproportionate amount of UB40. I was going to say, a lot. <laughs> there's a lot that was inflicted upon you. Right, but things like and REM I, and, and you REM, know, music yeah. like that was, you know, certainly, like, I benefited from that education of good music early on. Well, thank you, yeah. No, I, I was, I liked some... I liked some good stuff at at that time, you yeah, know. Yeah, and I, you know, you were kind of just like at the cusp of when grunge was happening, and you yeah. know, definitely had a lot of those CDs mm-hmm. and tapes. So, oh yeah, no, yeah. Ab- absolutely, yeah, no, that was like during the crossover from from tapes to CDs. Yeah, yeah, so. and even and even before that, there was definitely a lot of like. Duran Duran and NXS playing in our house and stuff like that. So it's like, Duran you know, Duran I was NXS, exposed to that yeah. pretty early on. And, you know, yeah, for the better. I had a lot of singles. Yeah. Dan, I uh, was an early adopter to the Gin Blossoms. Well, I saw the Gin Blossoms in concert. They opened for UB40 yeah. at the Garden State Art Center back when it was called the Garden Currently, State Art Center. Is it still Center. the PNC Bank Art Center? I am not sure what it is now. The Art Center um, in Homedale, New Jersey. Homedale? Yes. Yeah. In yeah, in Homedale, although 
uh, just a quick funny story about it because we don't often talk about music. You mentioned REM. Um, actually, we were all, you, me, and our other brother, Scott, were all at the same REM concert, but all in different groups <laughs> at the Art Center. Oh, was it the Up on the Up Tour? I think I was with uh, Scott. Yes. It was the, were you with, no, I don't, I didn't think you were with Scott. Hmm. I think we had were like you eight up really tickets. close. Yeah. Then maybe you were with Scott. Okay. I was, I was at that same concert, but I was not on the lawn. Oh, but okay. Like for much, like further back in, in the seats. It was still an awesome concert. I've seen REM three Space times. Space Hog opened. The best. Space Hog opened. Yes. Yeah, in the uh, meantime. We, we caught the tail end of Space Hog. Ah, uh, Space Hog was great. Yeah. Um, this was right after I graduated from college. So, um, and I was there with just a bunch of college friends and I remember he made, uh, Michael's, this was the most like chatty Michael Stipe was in the three times that I saw REM. <laughs> he was very chatty. And he, yeah. was, he was making all these comments about Cheesequake because of Cheesequake oh, right. National Park. And he was like, what is that? And I'm fascinated by it. And yeah. Uh, you fun. know who then- else was at that show? Ben Lee. He was sitting by us. Oh, yeah. I think I remember you mentioning that. Yeah. yeah. It was I a great think, show. Because Scott, who, you know, first got into Ben Lee, we were looking over and we're all just like, is that Ben Lee? And <laughs> sure enough, it totally was. And yeah. I think I confirmed it with him on Twitter recently. Ben Lee, meaning. And oh. uh, yeah, uh, great show so, all around. Great show. Yeah. But we're not um, here to talk about REM concerts. REM is from, not on. The, they're uh, not on the soundtrack. From 99? Yeah, that was 99. Wow, I can't believe I got the year right. That's a real Dan move. No, they – well, and you know what's a real Dan move? I remember they played The Great Beyond, and something that I've actually been thinking about asking Mike Mills on Twitter is I feel like I remember them saying that they had just written it or it was like the first time they were playing it huh. live. So That'd I don't know if I'm remembering that correctly. I'm going to go it's ahead likely, and plug another podcast for a moment. Dan, have you listened? I don't know if I've talked to you about this. Have you listened to the podcast Song Exploder? Oh yes, yeah. Have you have you listened to the Try Not to Breathe episode? No, not yet. You it is must on my. You list. must. Well, now they have they have a there's a show uh, on oh, Netflix. Is there Song really Exploder and REM has an episode? Love yeah. it. So so yeah. Cool. Do you remember? REM. So we remember where we all were at this 1999 uh, REM show. Uh, do you remember how you first saw Gross Point Blank? Absolutely. Saw it yes. in the theater at the Rialto in Westfield, and it okay. was in the upstairs, the stadium seating uh, nice. theater. Yes. Awesome. Um, yeah. And I, I want to say I was with um, Amy Blitz. So, okay. Uh, and I, um, so I remember I think Amy Blitz was there. Uh, Dave DeVito, Dave Littman might have been there. Shout out to um, Amy Blitz, Dave DeVito, and Dave Littman. Crew. Yeah, but I feel like I remember, th- like, those are the people who I remember. There there may have been others with us. I don't fully recall. But I remember, yeah, we saw Gross Point Blank at, uh, yeah. Nice. Westfield. I feel like I must have just caught it when it was on, when it came out on video. I just don't remember seeing it in the theater. But I definitely, when I was in high school... Went through like a huge John Cusack phase, just like absorbing everything he had done. And uh, it was, you know, that was kind of right at the point where he was, I don't know if uh, High Fidelity had come out yet or if it was like 
maybe just come out. 2000. Right, yeah. Which actually puts me... Yeah, oh. actually, that probably... Because I graduated in 2001. So that's probably right around the time when oh, I was getting oh, yeah, really into yeah. John Cusack. And yeah. uh, this was definitely one that I was just like loving. I mean, certainly the... More, more like Say Anything were the ones that I was like feeling more, but... Uh, this was like better off dead, better off dead. Huge one. Um, um, love, oh, love hot better pursuit is a good one. That's a fun one. Hot pursuit. Uh, um, tape heads. Watched a lot of tape heads. I have yet Re- to see tape heads. It's a really fun. I mean, I haven't watched it since then, probably, but it's a really fun movie. Tim Robbins. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, no, it's it's great. So, Dan. You were talking. You were alluding to something earlier about uh, Martin Blank and the teacher. Is this is this where that comes in? Where we were talking about what we would do now? Yeah, yeah. So, and I've got two directions here, and you know, one's going forwards, one one's going backwards. Because I've always wondered, I I've always felt like you could do a sequel, and. I feel like you could, uh, you know, a story about a hitman who gives up the life. I think there's always a chance to come back to that. And even though it's kind of, you know, not not really that outside of the box, but thinking, you know, they're 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 living somewhere, Martin and Debbie, and and they've got a, you know, a family and they're living somewhere under assumed identities. And then, you know, Someone getting back at him for something in the past, you know. Maybe it's Boudreaux. Mm. Maybe it could because well, because Felix uh, you know, Martin took. So that's kind of un. That's still you know unresolved at the end mm. of this. You also have the the whoever Debbie's father was testifying against. I'm guessing the the mob. I don't know. Was he testifying? I remember that he was. Yeah. I don't remember exactly why he was. Why he had the hit out on him. He was, he was, uh, Tessa, I think he was a government witness. Mm. I thought that he yeah. was like getting into bad business. Well, maybe he got into bad business and was coming. Well, yeah, clean. That yeah. Was, yeah. That was, that was, he it. cut a deal. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that was it. So I, I'm wondering, you know, what, what loose ends from Martin's past are going to come back to haunt him. And then, you know, does this bring them back to, gross point mm-hmm. i don't know but i feel i feel like that doesn't matter as much as it is picking up with the characters and now this time martin is the target and he has to kind of remember all of these things he hasn't thought about shooting blanks <laughs> oh, is that is the title <laughs> the title shooting blanks <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, um but so maybe you have kind of a whole and like, I don't know, maybe like one of their kids is in college. So they're trying to like go and they have to like get the kid or something. And they're they're trying to outfox the the assassins that are coming after them. Now, of course, Grocer doesn't make it. So Dan right. Aykroyd does not come back for. for yeah, he got real killed. Yeah. Yeah. No way. No way around that one. Um, and then the other thing I, that I was thinking was, uh, a prequel. I think it would be interesting. I I thought, first of all, maybe a series of novels documenting kind of like Martin's journey through the army. I think that there's this whole part right. of, of him in the army and him, 
uh, you know, getting into the assassin program and like grocery, there's clearly a background between them where I, I feel like, um, there's like a mentorship grocer, quality. Well, a father figure because, because mm-hmm. Martin didn't really have a, 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 what happened to his father? Um, I don't remember, but I know he wasn't around. I don't know if I think he died. I yeah. think his father died and the, his mother, that's an interesting scene we haven't talked about. Right, yeah, with his mother, who's she's at a at a facility, and she's not lithium. all there. Lithium, no, yeah, no, yeah. It's a really it's a sad scene, and it's a really interestingly written, acted, and directed scene. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. but and anyway, it, and yeah, it gives the prequel, us the and it gives us the recurring line. Oh, you are a handsome devil. What's your name? Exactly that comes up a few times, which is yes, lovely. I love it. Um, but anyway, and I think if you're going to do anything involving a prequel with Martin, now there's the Martin in high school prequel, the Martin and Debbie <laughs> yeah. that would kind of like show almost like who is the, like him in his senior year and kind of coming to a point where he's realizing he's battling these demons. He's feeling all of these like urges to hurt. Yeah. 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 And I think that's where you can kind of establish that he had this relationship with his teachers that was kind of different from other kids. And as a high school teacher, you you have those kids. You have those kids who come through and who are like, you know, reading, you know, philosophy and they're they're reading like Nietzsche and, uh, you know, they want to talk about the classics and existentialism. Right. So it's it's not it's not out of the realm of of reality i think that if you were doing some prequel stuff with martin in his you know uh well i guess he's like 28 yeah in this gross point blank so i guess i don't know paul dano probably too old <laughs> to uh, the, uh but, the john but, cusack paul dano playing the same character role <laughs> it worked so well for love and mercy uh, i mean they look nothing alike but you buy it in love and mercy and I wouldn't mind seeing Paul Dano playing like this type of Paul Dano uh, coming be, up several times in this episode. Look at that. Be a little different, you know, a little something a little uh different. Yeah. For him. I mean, I uh, try I mean he he had his role in Looper. I feel like there's uh a little bit of probably that in him there. Oh yeah. Forgot about that. Yeah. Where he is an assassin. I'm, he is a I'm he used is a hit to him. I'm so used to him in like doing the indie, like you said, yeah. the, uh, you know, Paul Dano, Zoe Kazan, or, or like I think of him in There Will Be Blood. Oh, yeah. Totally. So, you know, there's just some, but, but I think that, you know, there's, there's kind of less and less you can do, but I think the, you know, if John Cusack and Minnie Driver were game, I, I would love to see something with them returning yeah you know aside from love and mercy i see that late like latter day john cusack movies uh you know they've all been like a lot of the they remind me of like the bruce willis movies that are always just some like of them are the stream. bruce willis some movies. of them literally are i think, are the I bruce think willis a couple <laughs> of them are the same movie <laughs> so yeah it's just a lot of yeah. these where it's just like some weird random action movie that's on a streaming service that you're just like is that John Cusack? Like, it's just kind of weird the way that it's grown. Aside from Love and Mercy, which was, you know, a fantastic performance. But I don't think he necessarily, he doesn't seem to care that much about it. Like, he seems much more concerned with, um, I don't want to say politics. It's kind of more like human rights, but he's a big mm. Bernie Sanders 
mm. supporter and he's been very vocal. He was out there in Chicago during uh, some of the, the protests earlier oh, cool. in the summer. And oh, yeah, he posted a video like uh, of cops like yelling at him, threatening oh. him. So respect. Uh, they they did not realize that he is a skilled kickboxer. Yeah, or that he'll say anything. So Dan, I have uh, uh, yes, I have John. a different a different idea for where this this property could go. So we see him give as a parting gift uh, a large chunk of cash to Marcella. I want to know what she's gonna do with that money, and I'm thinking that she's gonna go into her own murder for hire business. I want to see the Marcella as a hit a hit woman movie. You know, oh, kind of like Marcella. But is it Marcella as a hit woman or Marcella as like a coordinator of like she like runs she's, a network of of hit people, well, assassins? Kind of like for 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 easy point of reference, think like Mr. and Mrs. Smith, right? Yeah, the you know the old, like more of like the Angelina Jolie, like the network that 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 she's in. Yeah, imagine, but I'm um, um, not necessarily like restricted by by gender. But no, imagine, totally. imagine Marcella, like, I guess imagine she, like Marcella she, running. She fulfills the idea that Grocer has of like forming this, like, you know, syndicate of assassins. Oh, just throwing this out there. But what if like there was a little, you know, communication between Grocer and Marcella that we don't know about where he was trying to get her to. Although I don't know. Yeah, well, um, you know, it's like maybe it's she just like took his good ideas and yeah, you know, did it the right way. Because clearly, it's been some time. Uh, you know, it's been quite a while since that movie came out. What twenty six years, twenty five years, something like that. So twenty uh, four. Yeah. So it's oh, ninety seven. Twenty three years. Twenty three years. So we're definitely like in and a half. You know far into the life of this organization. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, you get that awesome Joan Cusack. I want more Marcella. That's all I'm saying. You know what? And, and I neglect, I, I, of course, I neglected to mention that, of course, Martin and Debbie would have to go to Marcella for help in the sequel. But I'm, I'm now imagining these two things combining where it's like they go to Marcella for help and Marcella is like running this, whole like it's like the office that you see in any of those tv shows that are supposed to be like 24 and they've got like the whole office where it's oh upstairs and we're walking around lots of computers and flashing lights yeah and and then there's michael winslow at the uh at the desk (laughs) doing the the bleeps the The bleeps bleeps and the so i don't know so dan unless Uh you have uh more that you want to talk about with um with gross point blank Oh, I yes. Oh, yes. please, please. I'm please. sorry. No, because there's a couple of things that that I I just I noticed and I wanted to call them out. So not just does it have an amazing soundtrack, but there are certain oh, points wait. where speaking of the live and let die moment at the Ultima, oh. where it switches between the music and the the full version. It's beautiful. That is that that's Exhibit A. Um, exhibit B was was the point that I that really that made me take note um but the transition from mirror in the bathroom to mm. 99 loof balloons oh yeah during during the uh during the reunion is so and it's like like he has that line um when she after she sees him uh and with felix 
dead Felix with a pen sticking out of his neck. <laughs> and it and it go the the music just has that real drastic like change of of tone. Mm-hmm. It's not me. I thought like, like just such a great choice and it syncs up so nicely. I, I thought that was great. I also thought it was fascinating that there was actually a line about like the government intentionally polluting the water in Michigan. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Um, and of course I need to point out my, my favorite line, the, the actor or the athlete martial artist who played uh, Felix La Poubelle. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't have a lot of dialogue, but he's like notable for his appearance in it. But one of his few lines is when he tries to go into the reunion and the woman sitting at the table is checking everybody in and he just needs a fake name. And he just like looks at all the name tags that are sitting there and he goes, and his accent, it is I, Sidney Feldman. It is I, Sidney Feldman. Yeah. Her name (laughs) is what? Like Irene, some like hyphenated name. She's wonderful too. Oh, the little and the, whatever between her and Debbie was was or who's the one that that uh, there was like real tension between one of them and Debbie. Was it where... Jenny Slater? Hi, Jenny Slater. No, it was Hi, Jenny, Hi, Jenny Slater. Slater. Hi, Jenny. <laughs> really Hi, Jenny Slater. Hey, Jenny Slater. Really good. Hey, Jenny Slater. Paul. Paul Perky. Paul. Yeah. Oh boy. Oh man. Jeremy Piven, Piven is also really great in this. We didn't talk about that. Piven, he's, he's awesome in this. Years. Well, that's the so one of the first quotes that comes to mind when you mention this. Like I, I mentioned to my buddy Ray that we, that we were doing this. Mm. It's like the first hey, thing. Like, ten years. Ten years, man. Ten. Yeah, we were we were talking about Jer- how Jeremy Piven that had his like the peak. Uh, but I feel like this really, this was, you know, like, pre hair plugs. I, uh, you know, there's movies like this and one crazy summer, other like John Cusack, uh, collabs where it's just was he like, in one. Cra- oh, he's, he, one, he's one of, uh, he's one of like the, the, what do you, you know, the, the bad guy. Yeah, yeah. He's one of the preps. Yeah. Um, yeah. He he's one PCU. of the preps in that. PCU was right before mm-hmm. this. Yeah. But his, his part in this and, he feels so authentic and you just buy him as like that guy who just really wanted, like he wants to be the guy with the BMW dealership. Yeah. 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 Even though no one wants to actually be that guy. No, that guy sucks. (laughs) Yeah. No. Oh, except for when he takes out his poem and starts. Oh my God. That's, that's an insane out of nowhere scene and I love it. And I'm going to play it right now. These are my words. It's a poem. See, that's the problem. Express yourself, Bob. Go for it. When I feel quiet. When I feel blue. You know, I think that is terrific, what you have right there. And wasn't that wonderful? (laughs) (laughs) Why'd you some blow? (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I don't. Piven is is so like or his character, I should say, yeah. is so incredibly coked up. I don't know if I ever noticed exactly how coked up, but when when he's just go but the fact that he's kind of always on something like he smokes a joint on the way to the um right. the real estate. Uh, yeah. Oh, with the the guy, the security guard. <laughs> yeah, the like you know home security guy. Uh, he's kind of weird. <laughs> well, yeah, he's the guy who like I was watching it and I was like, oh, he, he's a proud boy now. Uh, mm, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Totally. But but Jeremy Piven just kind of how he pulls Martin back in to that yeah. friendship and and is there for him when he needs him. I mean, he helps him dispose of a body. Without even Without question. a hesitation at all. Nope. Where's our boy? Where's yeah. our boy? Yeah. <laughs> I always I always thought that line was so funny, but so genuine yeah. as like, I just want to be involved with something. Hey, it's the first exciting thing to happen in that town and you know, for who knows how long. I know, right? Yeah. So, Dan, have I got a game for you? This is a this is a throwback pop quiz hot shot. So as we've discussed before, Dan Aykroyd is the owner of Crystal Head Vodka. But you also probably know many other celebrities have their names and and positions on the boards of uh of booze. So I'm going to name a series of boozes, and I'm going to give you four options for each one, and you're going to tell me who is the uh, the celebrity behind the booze. Can I? I have a question. While you're reading things, this is not an open book test. To, I cannot jot them down. Okay. I have to oh, can you jot them, them down? I will no, I will, no no I don't think I'll need to. I, don't I will think repeat them ahead. if you need to. Go ahead. I'm gonna start I'm gonna start this one off in a way that I feel is pretty easy. Aviation gin. Your options are Hugh Jackman, Jake Gyllenhaal, Ryan Reynolds, and Steve Buscemi. I'm I'm pretty sure it's Ryan Reynolds, you are but correct. I don't know. I am correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Aviation Gin, Portland's own Aviation Gin, owned by uh, the Twisted Mind Canada's of Ryan own, Reynolds. Canada's uh, own Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> yeah, and I hear it's actually really dang good. Oh. If you're right. a gin person, try Aviation Gin. I, you know what? I've had it at, uh, at bars. I've definitely gotten it in some cocktails. Villa One Tequila. Your options are Todd Phillips, Nick Jonas, Stephen Baldwin, or John Bon Jovi. Todd Phillips... Nick Jonas, Stephen Baldwin, or John Bon Jovi with Villa One Tequila? Uh, I think I'm I'm between two right now. I'm just go, go with, with Nick your gut. Jonas. You say Nick Jonas? Go with Nick Jonas. You're yeah. correct. All right, two yeah. for two. Because I'm like, well, Stephen Baldwin's like born again, so I don't think he goes near tequila. Or am I wrong? And about there's that? gonna be and there's gonna be some of these in here that are yeah. you know <laughs> if you know just that much about these people, then you'll know it can't be that person. Okay, Mulholland Distilling. And this is, I think, whiskey, gin, and vodka. David Lynch, Justin Theroux, Walton Goggins, or Regina King? David Lynch, Justin Theroux, Walton Goggins, or Regina King for Mulholland Distilling? 
I'm between two again. Just uh, go with your gut, man. I'm gonna. Go I'm gonna remind with, you there are no stakes. I'm gonna go with Walton Goggins. You are correct. Three for three. Wow. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Walton Goggins, and I hear it's actually. I uh, I hear that the the product is actually pretty good. All right, here we go. Maison number nine, French Riviera Rosé. Your options are John Legend, Christopher Reed of Kid and Play, Post Malone, or David Schwimmer. Again, your options are John Legend, Christopher Reed of Kid and Play, Post Malone, or David Schwimmer for Maison number nine, French Riviera Rosé. For some reason, I want to say it's Schwimmer. Ooh, Dan, it's Post Malone. Uh, I knew I shouldn't have gone swimming. (laughs) Okay, this one's going to have a bit of a theme to it. We got King Street Vodka, and your options are Kate Upton, Kate Hudson, Kate Winslet, or Kate Beckinsale. Again, your options are Kate Upton, Kate Hudson, Kate Winslet, and Kate Beckinsale for King Street Vodka. Beckinsale? Kate Hudson. Oh. You started off so strong. You got, you know, uh, the only American, the only Yank. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You're doing okay. You've got, uh, you're, you've got a full count. You got, uh, three balls and two strikes. You're not going to get out. I've got a bunch more. So, uh, this one is, uh, another, I got another theme to my options here. So, Aveline Wines. Your options, Cameron Diaz, Lucy Liu, Drew Barrymore, or Charlie's Angels director, Mick G. That's Cameron Diaz, Lucy Liu, Drew Barrymore, or Mick G for Aveline Wines. Aveline Wines, Lucy Liu? Cameron Diaz. Okay. Oh. Okay. You're at 50% right now. You are failing this course. So the next is a Brazilian spirit called Cuca Fresca. And your options are Mark, Prince Marky D. Morales, Jay-Z, Dr. Dre, or Snoop Dogg. Again, your options are Prince Marky D, Jay-Z, Dr. Dre, or Snoop D-O-double-G. I'm going to go with the D-O-double-G. And you would be correct. All right. All right. Getting back there. I'm pretty sure Mark Morales is dead no he's still alive oh okay yeah oh, he's the one who's still alive he's okay. the one who's it's uh the human beatbox who yes. is uh, unfortunately passed onto into the other realm been a while since disorderlies <laughs> it has been uh snoop dogg also has a his name attached to a lovely wine uh and there's an interview that's um one of uh laura's my wife one of her favorite interviews Ever. I'll have her send it to you. <laughs> Please do. So our next is a Mezcal Mezquila, sorry, a Mezcal Tequila combo called Santo. And your options are one of these pairs of people. Will Smith and DJ Jazzy Jeff, Brian Cranston and Dean Norris, Sammy Hagar and Adam Levine, or Jimmy Fallon and Elijah Wood. Your options again, Will Smith and DJ Jazzy Jeff, Brian Cranston and Dean Norris of Breaking Bad, Sammy Hagar and Adam Levine, and Jimmy Fallon and Elijah Wood 
for Santo Mezquila. I'm going to go with Hagar and Levine on this, just because I know Hagar has his own tequila, so... This is correct. This is correct. He also has another Santo partnership. Uh, Sammy Hagar and Guy Fieri have a a partnership with uh, the Santo Mezquila brand. I think there's maybe just a tequila. Not sure. But yes, the Cabo Wabo tequila was uh, Sammy Hagar's. Yes. Okay, we've got two more. I've already lost count of where you are, but I think that you're pretty much 50-50. Well, I was I was I was 50-50, but then I got the last two right. Yes, that's true. That's true. I think so I was you're, 3 and so you're I think now up I'm ahead. 5 5 and 5, five and, three. and 3. Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay, we got two more. This could either make it for you or it could tie it for you. Dos Hombres Mezcal. Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul. Giovanni Ribisi and Beck, Missy Elliott and Aziz Ansari, or Jeff Goldblum and Jack Johnson. Again, your options are Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul, Giovanni Ribisi and Beck, Missy Elliott and Aziz Ansari, and Jeff Goldblum and Jack Johnson for Dos Hombres Mezcal. He's thinking, everybody. I'm going to go with Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul. You are correct. So you have, you will have won the game, seeing as how it is impossible now for you to either tie or lose. But we have one more bonus, bonus, bonus question, question, question. <laughs> Heaven's Door Straight Rye Whiskey. Is it Axl Rose, Bob Dylan, Eric Clapton, or Wyclef Jean? All people who have played or wrote the song Axel. Knocking on Heaven's Door. Your your guess is Axl Rose? Yeah. It is Bob Dylan with Heaven's Door Straight Rye Whiskey. Oh, fuck. That, oh, boy. I was very confident <laughs> of that response. I don't know why, because I was just like, I could see, because, you know what, I, and all due respect to Axl Rose, but I could see him naming his whiskey for a song a that, that he, he famously covered. <laughs> But didn't see, write. That's why I included him because it's like I could totally see him doing that. Whereas it's like Bob. I feel I don't know why I just couldn't imagine Bob Dylan having his own rye whiskey. But you know uh, what he does. It's and nice you to can know. get it there, and of course there are tons more of these. I just didn't I was have... waiting. I was waiting for you to throw Terramana out there, though. I assume that you would know that I know. That that is Dwayne the Rock Johnson's oh, right. tequila. I you know what, and that's why I did not include it because I thought that'd be too too easy. Um, same with Ciroc, which is famously Puff Daddy, or um, uh, oh, what is uh, George Clooney's uh, Casamigas tequila? Oh, see that I feel those like those are, are some of the more yeah. well known ones. I put an Aviation because that one is like one of the more like widely publicized ones. Yeah. Yeah, no, the others were I um any anything else that I got r- right was more from like logic and and reasoning. Sure. You're a smart not guy. From, not from knowing shit. <laughs> well then Walton Goggins, why did you figure that one? Um uh so what were the so that was the Mulholland, uh, was right? David Lynch, Justin Thoreau, Walton Goggins and Regina King. Okay. So I didn't feel like Regina King at least to the best of my knowledge, has any kind of specific, like that there's much of a con- of like, I added connection. that one because I thought that you might think like 
it's too weird for it not to be her. I don't, also, I feel like I've like uh, Regina King is someone who there's been a lot, you know, has has been in the press a lot with just like winning tons of awards. And she's got her directorial debut, mm-hmm. uh, which is hitting the festivals now. So I feel like I would have seen something about that. So I kind of ruled her out. And then that left me with David Lynch and Justin Theroux. And David Lynch... I feel like he's very. I know he, he's he's pretty clean. Keeps like, his body well oiled. Yeah, not with um, whiskey. No, yeah. I and and I felt like okay. And if he was gonna name his whiskey after one of his movies, I mean, maybe that would be it. But I also didn't think he'd be so obvious. And Justin Theroux, honestly, was where I was almost. I was really wavering between the two. I had a feeling that Justin Theroux would be one of the ones that you would get stuck on. Well, and it's it's interesting because he came up. Well, he didn't come up directly. He came up indirectly earlier the as, from the from the Baxter, and yeah. he's really he's and I was so like, good in the I Baxter. Like, I really like him in those roles. I really like him in those roles where he's where he's like the funny, but he's so funny. Yeah, he's so funny. Like I don't. I like other. I really liked him in Mulholland Drive, and mm-hmm. I. Uh, but there's like there's another movie where I'm just like he's just he's too, like he's really uh, scummy and it, or it was like his role on I think on Six Feet Under. Uh, that yeah. yeah. So so Walton Goggins is uh, one of the partners for Mulholland Distilling, and uh, there's a podcast, a wonderful podcast that's been going on for, God, like I want to say like 20 years. Like it's like, one of the first mm. podcasts called Jordan Jesse Go with Jesse Thorne and Jordan Morris. And uh, they have a, a running gag on their show where people send in uh, theme songs for Walton Goggins' brand of vodka. And it's quite enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, so honestly, shout yeah. out to, to, to Jordan and Jesse. Jesse, uh, who does, um, he has an NPR show called Bullseye. He's also uh-huh. on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. And Jordan Morris uh, he did the podcast Bubble, which is now also a graphic novel, which I believe is also being made into a movie. And he was also a guest on the Hey Teens podcast that I did forever ago. Oh, nice. Nice. Good nice. dude. Yeah. Funny, funny uh, guys. But yeah, but anyway, and then uh, the I went with Goggins partially because I was like, I could see him yeah. having a have, like having a piece of a distillery. Uncle Baby so- Billy himself. Like I could see that, and then also I could I could also see you throwing in two people associated with Mulholland Drive to trip me up. So you see how my brain works. I'm always looking for the angle, man. So anyway, Dan, you did great. Congratulations. Thank you. You Yay. win. You win a. Uh, one day we will share a bottle of Crystal Head vodka. One day. Very. I look forward to that day. And <laughs> not the entire bottle. That would be insane. But slowly no. over time, we will uh, enjoy it. I I look forward to that. I'm gonna we're gonna make that happen, and I hope that maybe we, we uh, when we do that, even if it is not happening during October, You're that right. perhaps we can enjoy a fine film starring or co-starring the phenomenal Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. Well, why don't we talk about what we're doing on the next episode? Yeah, so next episode, uh, we're going back to one of the biggest uh, Dan Aykroyd hits and comedy classics, 1983's Trading Places, co-starring Eddie Murphy. Yeah, 
I'm really excited. Jamie Lee Curtis. It's going to be. Oh, absolutely. Paul Gleason. Yeah. So such a funny movie. So many wonderful, memorable scenes, um, uh, performances. Yeah, and we'll we'll get definitely more into this on the next episode. But very excited. I, I encourage. I don't know yet if it's on any streaming platforms uh, readily available, but I feel like it's even if you're not going to listen to our next episode, worth rewatching just because it's as relevant today as it was when it was made. And and very very funny. Yeah, absolutely. I you know, Dan Aykroyd, killing it. And this is yep. one where he's in a in a leading role. We were talking before about a, how well, he shines more in the supporting roles. Well, this is one where he's more of a leading guy. He and Eddie Murphy are really kind of yeah, they're they're 50-50. You know, one movie one this. movie that we didn't talk about earlier that I don't think we're going to cover that is a uh an 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 adaptation, a a remake but Dragnet. I don't think that I, yeah, I that's another I, one where he's kind of in a co-starring role that I thought about yeah. it. I I thought about it earlier. Well, he's kind of the lead in that, and Tom Hanks is almost the the yeah, support. That's true. Um, because he's Sergeant Friday. He's Joe Friday, just the facts, ma'am, and he's so good. He he is very good. It. Um, yeah. Anyway, that just popped into my head. That's yeah. All. No, no, no real reason to bring it. An up. early reboot, and uh, like one of our, you know, an early, uh, you know, reboot. Sure. There. Yeah. So from a TV series. So. Yeah. Anyway, everybody follow us on uh, Instagram at Ruined Childhoods Pod, Twitter, ruined underscore pod. Uh, email us, ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com. Uh, this is so much fun. I love October. I October, it's going to be a great month, and I'm, I'm excited that we're doing it. And I hope that if, you, if you're still listening, that you will join us. As we continue our journey through the cinematic history of Mr. Daniel Aykroyd. And I hope it's a good journey for you, Dan. Good journey. Well, I heard there was a vodka brand created by an actor man who's accomplished both in comedy and drama. But you, you tried to drink a fifth And now you're falling off your tits It must be quite a delicious tasting vodka Walton Goggins has a vodka Walton Goggins has a vodka You bet it's strong More than 80 proof You better stay the hell off the roof I'm afraid you'll fall and suffer major trauma I'll tie you to a kitchen chair Till you sober up I'll leave you there Until your lips no longer smell like vodka Walton Goggins has a vodka Walton Goggins has a vodka. You know that we've been here before. I've cleaned your puke off the floor and held you while you cried out for your mama. I don't want to hear you cry at night. Just go to bed, turn off the light, and dream of having normal Holland vodka. Walton Goggins 
it's not marijuana. 